Thank you, thank you. Hello, everybody. How are you? It's really great to be here um, speaking with you guys. I've never done this here, and it's been a long time since I've done it, so a little nervous. Um, so uh, first thing we're going to do, though, is we're going to have a little bit of fun. Um, so in front of you guys, there are index cards, and uh, if you don't see one right in front of you, share them. There's, a, there's, I think, 250 of them throughout here. So grab an index card. If you don't have a pen or a pencil, there's a pew pencil. They're like little golf pencils. Um, so grab one of those. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down three to five attributes about yourself, kind of life markers, things about you as other people would describe you, your friends who know you well, people who love you, what would they say about you? Three to five things. We're just going to take a couple minutes. Things like, they love their kids. Uh, they're dedicated to their church. They're uh, believers. They are hard workers. They're generous. What are three to five things? Don't do less than three. Don't do more than five. Three to five things. Some of you already hate me because I'm making you think about yourself. And worse, what other people might think about you. So I might as well pull your fingernails out with pliers. But do it. Just take a couple minutes. All right, if you don't have uh, three yet, you can keep thinking about it. We'll come back to this a little bit later. So uh, Philippians, we're talking about Philippians. Uh, we're going through it uh, from beginning to end, and we're, and we're team teaching. So uh, Jace kicked us off. He gave some great background um, and then kind of progressed through it. Last week, Liz did a, just a great job at outlining some parts that I'll refer back to uh, in this sermon. And then the part that I have is really, it's almost like this um, awkward pause in the middle of the, of the book where he introduces some friends and then he goes on with everything else. And so we're going to talk about that. So uh, let's talk about some context. Let's look at context uh, overall. I just want to kind of set the stage and we can go to the next slides, Lauren, um, and the one after that. And so context really uh, for what we're talking about here is... Um, Paul writing this from prison. So I know Jace talked about that a little bit, but he's waiting to stand trial before Caesar. Because he's a Roman citizen, he gets this highest honor, um, and he's sitting in prison with palace guards, so he has a lot of influence kind of throughout. The letter that he's writing with Timothy is going to be delivered by Epaphroditus um, back to the church or the believers in Philippi. So he's going to take it back to them, and then someone will read it probably as a group out loud. Um, he's expressing gratitude and love and appreciation and encouragement throughout this book. It's not corrective. He's really proud of the church of Philippi. He's proud of what they're doing. He's not telling them, stop doing this dumb thing like he does in a number of the letters. Um, this is, uh, it's in a group of books uh, that he wrote from prison. So he wrote uh, many of these books from prison 
it's really unclear on the dates. You read a lot about it on which one was first, which one was last. But we'll talk about some of that as we go forward. Um, in the early part, so if we look at just what we read earlier uh, at the very beginning, and Jace talked about some context for what Paul is trying to communicate to us, what Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippians. Um, if you want to go to the next slide, he says uh, that in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he says, I pray that your love will keep overflowing more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruits of your salvation, the righteous character produced by your life, uh, in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So this is what Paul wants for the church in Philippi. Um, it, it, I think, really sets the stage or is really a key verse, at least in the first half of this book. Is he's saying, I want you to grow as mature Christians. I think you're doing great. I want you to keep going. I want you to run this race all the way through. I want you to, to finish everything you started. I want you to grow and develop and overflow more and more and more with love and grow and knowledge and grow and understanding so that you can bring glory to God while walking out your salvation. This is really the core of what he's trying to say. So to this end, he, uh, he gives us some tips. He gives some tips on what are the things that you should do to really mature as Christians. And so these are some of the tips we've gotten to date. He says, live a, live a life worthy of the gospel. He says, stand, fight, and struggle together. This together thing is super important. We'll see it all throughout the book. We see it all throughout uh, the Bible, really. But it's really about doing all this together. He says, love each other, again, together, and have a shared purpose. Uh, it's not just about loving. It is also uh, about having a purpose and driving forward somewhere. He says, be humble and look out for other people. Look out for the interests of others. And he says, obey God with deep fear and reverence. And I just want to pause there for a second, this idea of obeying God with deep fear and reverence. And, um, you know, that gets, it gets hard. Sometimes it's hard to explain fear God um, until you sit uh, kind of fully exposed in the presence of God. And then it's not hard to explain at all, Right? Um, and so what Paul's saying is live in that place where you are obeying God, um, having sat in his presence fully, right? He says, do everything without complaining. Liz talked about that uh, last week. And he says, live clean, shine bright, and hold firm. Right? It's kind of the summary of what he said uh, at the end leading up to this. So, so the, the very recent instructions, those last few tips, uh, the recent instructions he says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Uh, by the way, this is New Living Translation, so if it doesn't match what you're reading, it's just a little bit off. I like New Living Translation. Um, so that's, that's kind of background, what he's trying to accomplish uh, as he communicates with the church at Philippi some tips that he gave them in how to live and move towards these mature uh, Christian lives, and then just this recent instruction because it sets some context for us. Is that helpful? Great. Um, so now to the passage today, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. 
It says, if the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you again, to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphrodites back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he's been longing to see you. He was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And certainly, uh, he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you will be glad to see him. Then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. That last little, that last little section there, um, it's really timely, because today we're going to have somebody speak after me um, who does some work far away that we can't do from here. Um, and we should welcome and love and respect the work that they're doing. So it's just really, really timely um, that we're talking about this, and it was all just sort of as though there's a God in charge. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, so you can see in this passage that, uh, that really um, it's kind of a pause. It's a little bit of a, of a uh, side note. He's saying, by the way, uh, I want to send Timothy to you and Epaphrodites, and these, guys, these are some really great guys, right? Some people you can learn from. Um, so I want to talk about the obvious first and, uh, and talk about kind of what we, what we see in these two individuals. So first I want to talk about uh, these as examples of mature believers. First, Timothy. So Timothy, 30 to 35 years old, uh, give or take, um, he converted at about age 20 or so. He's really altruistic, genuine altruism. And altruism is just where I care about the needs and the welfare of other people before my own. Legitimately, that's what he cares about. You know, as I was looking at that idea of altruism, um, it struck me that, you know, altruism, the opposite sometimes they say is selfishness, but I think it might be just indifference, right? That... Um, we can be altruistic and care about the needs of others, or we can be completely indifferent. I think we get stuck there sometimes. I think we find ourselves indifferent, um, not hung up on our own things, but certainly not caring about other people's things. Timothy cares about what matters to Jesus. Um, I think about that uh, really in the, in the context of our lives and how we prioritize our lives and how we, where we filter first. Do we filter first um, our lives and our needs? Do we filter first uh, and, and really let that guide and direct? Or do we first think about uh, what Jesus cares about? The, the, 
You know, what would Jesus do? Cliche, right? Um, But do we think about that in the context of our lives? Timothy does all the time. He's a proven minister. He serves like a son. Uh, Paul really thinks of him as a son, and some of you are sons or have sons, and so set those ideas aside. Uh, In the day, you know, the son really did serve diligently and helped um, carry on the family legacy. We spent some time in Italy when, the, when our kids were really young, just on a, on a little vacation, we went to a little walled city called Cortona. And uh, we stayed there. It was really interesting because we heard from some folks that lived there for a while, and, they sa- and we asked, well, where do we go to, uh, to buy fruits and vegetables? They said, well, you go to this fruit market. Don't go to that fruit market. Their son had some uh, activities with somebody else's daughter, and we don't go there anymore. So it's really interesting just... Uh, in the, and that was not that long ago that the, those uh, kind of inappropriate um, moments have an impact. Uh, and the same thing is true if someone is a hardworking son who serves, it really means a lot. Um, he says that, that Timothy will go check on the, on the Philippians and he'll come back and he'll bring him cheer. So he brings cheer and he preaches the gospel. Uh, so really just fantastic Fantastic attributes uh, for someone. How many of you are in a similar age bracket? 30 to 35-ish? I know I'm not supposed to ask, but yeah, 30 to 35-ish. You're in that, in that range, so you can kind of relate. Um, anybody in that same age where you know, you've been saved for maybe 10 or 15 years and you've been involved in the church, a couple of folks there too. Anybody longer than that? Uh, that's in that age bracket? Yeah, a lot of you, a lot of you. So you can relate a little bit uh, to Timothy, at least where he is demographically, right? Not probably so much because you're not serving somebody in prison, likely, um, but you can kind of get a feel for where he is in, in the life progression. So let's look at Epaphrodites. So Epaphrodites, um, we don't know a whole lot about Epaphrodites. So Epaphrodites was... Um, really sent there by the Philippians to care for Paul. Uh, He was sent there um, to bring him some money, uh, some goods, and also to care for his needs ongoing. Um, What we learn through the passage, again, we don't know his age. There's some some, uh, thought that maybe he is Epaphras, who uh, was also in Colossians and maybe was involved in planting a church there. Some say yes, some say no. Doesn't really matter all that much for us, except that um, we know that this one, this person who was sent as a representative, it's an important, an important thing. And think about who in your church would you like to send to represent the person who you think is really uh, fathering the church largely and is held in prison. And I want to make sure he's cared for deeply. Who do I trust to do that? So Epaphrodites was really beloved and respected and honored by the people. He's an empath, so um, did everyone just picture the girl with the antennas when I said that? Uh, from Some people did. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so he, he hurts when other people hurt. Uh, so he said he's upset because they were upset because he was sick. It doesn't say, well, he wants to come back because he was sick and almost died. He says, he wants to come back and see you because you heard he was sick. Uh, so he really cares about how people think about him and then that they're hurting. He wants to go there and help. He risks his life and arguably risks his wealth 
to further the gospel, as a, and, and Paul calls him a fellow soldier. So risks his life, and I'll talk about that more in a second, but uh, his wealth too. So uh, there's, a, there's a strong belief that when someone is sent to care for someone like that, they're bringing money, and they have their own means. Like they probably, he probably paid for his travel. He probably paid for some of the, the money that they left behind. So he's risking his own personal wealth. Uh, he's away from home for some time. Um, so that the gospel can be preached, so that uh, Paul can, can serve and do what Jesus is calling him to do. He's a proven minister. Uh, Paul calls him a co-worker. He's my co-worker. He works at my level with me. Um, and he says he's a true brother and obviously loved by his community. Uh, I just want to talk about his journey for a second. So uh, Google Maps, that's all this is. Google Maps knows where Philippi is, and um, it's a long way. It's a long way. So you probably can't read that from back there, but uh, what Google Maps says is that it's uh, 1,230 kilometers, about 765 miles. Um, it says it's a 216-mile hike. Um, so it would be like going from here, hiking from here to Salt Lake City uh, with the Adriatic Sea in the middle. It's kind of rough. I wonder why he got sick. I'm not sure, right? Uh, <laughs> So we think about these, and sometimes we think about that area and that region. We think, oh, they're all kind of close together. You know, that was the world then. Yes, and uh, there were no real roads developed. These were, these were uh, mountains he's climbing up and down uh, through all sorts of terrain. Many languages spoke in the middle. Lots of danger uh, going through the middle. Again, he's risking his well-being. And then he gets sick. He almost dies and uh, stays there. It says that... God had mercy on him. Um, and so not, not clear exactly what happened there, except that he almost died and then he didn't die. So probably safe to say God healed him, right? That God healed him uh, so that he could continue the, the, the mission and the ministry that he has. Paul also says, I think God healed him to save me from sorrow because I love him dearly and, and no one wants to lose a dear friend, right? Um, so... Uh, so God spared them both, and they were, they were very happy. I'm sure the people of Philippi were also very happy. Uh, three examples, really, in this passage, although I'm pulling from a lot of things here. The third is Paul. Um, so Paul, as an example of a mature believer, he's about 55 to 65 years old. Anybody in that age bracket? Anybody there? Yep. If you're between 35 and 55, you're not off the hook, just so you know, there's not this age and that age. Probably Epaphrodites was in that age bracket, we'll just say. So everybody's covered, right, in this age bracket. Uh, he was converted at age 30. Uh, any of you in that age bracket converted 30 years, uh, when you were 30 years or younger? Yeah, yeah, some, some more recent than that. Amen. Uh, he was magnanimous. I just wanted to be able to say that word and write it down. I had to look it up, really, to understand what it meant. It's such a great word, magnanimous. It sounds like maybe it's a bad word, but it's not. It's really, it's good. Magnanimous just means that you have position, power, authority, uh, but you don't look down on other people. You aren't condescending to other people. And so Paul has this. He really is an established leader in the church. He got saved, converted when he was 30. By that time, he was already well-respected um, as a teacher in Israel. So he had already established himself at age 30. He gets converted uh, in dramatic form, and then uh, he goes and serves the uncircumcised. Crazy, because he is, 
he is prosecuting uh, the, the church of Christ until that date, right? And then he now goes to, to really say, hey, this group uh, that I was prosecuting, and even specifically those who are not circumcised, they are the church. This is the church, and we are all part of the body of Christ. Um, and they are not less than me. They are my equals. They are saved with me. They are brothers and sisters with me. And we all are a family together, right? Um, he's willing to live or die for the benefit of others. We'll hear some more about that in the future. We've heard about it some already where he says, you know, if I die, I can go and be with Christ. If I live, then I get to be with you. I should probably be with you so I can help you out. So he's willing to put his life on the line to benefit the believers, to benefit uh, what God has called him to do. Um, he is all about the gospel 24-7, 365. That's all he does. Now, he's in prison, so there's not a lot of choice in what he can do. However, <laughs> serving uh, in God's church and preaching the gospel is what got him there. Right? That's why he's there. Uh, he's a proven leader. He's been serving for decades. He's been in prison. Uh, there, there's belief that he was in. He had two prison sentences. One was house arrest. This one is probably more of a prison arrest, though he has palace guards, so it's probably not dingy. It's probably not bad, not terrible, um, as far as early prisons go, I guess. Uh, he's full of joy. Uh, so remember, he's in prison, and in chapter 2, he says, joy or rejoice 16 times. If you're in prison, potentially facing death, have been really on a hard road for a long time, nearly lost your life, uh, how many times would you use joy or rejoice? I just don't know. For me, I just don't. I'm not sure. Um, it wouldn't be my core go-to, but if you, if you read the book, if you wordle, do you have done any wordles? If you wordle the, the book, joy is pretty present uh, in, in that chapter specifically. Um, so even in facing, in facing death um, and imprisonment, he still operates with tons of joy. So, um, you know, that's, what's interesting about this passage is that there's no deep hidden meaning. It's just about these guys and their lives. So, so what do I talk about? Uh, what do I talk about up here? I gave you a little bit of a history lesson on them, uh, a little bit about, hey, this is what we should admire uh, with these guys. So, so that's why I had you do this uh, Yoo-Hoo thing. Um, and uh, so why did we do that? Why did we do that Yoo-Hoo thing? Uh, well, mostly I wanted you to start thinking about yourself. We have a tendency when we look back at uh, historical figures in the Bible to just observe them as though they are a museum piece. Oh, look at that. That person did this thing. They traveled that distance. And they did this amazing work for God Amen. I'm so glad those people existed. They are the foundation of our faith, right? Um, but I don't think that's why they're there. I don't think that's what it's for. If you remember, uh, Paul says, I want you, Church of Philippi, to grow in your faith more and more, increase in love, uh, learn how to be a mature believer. Here's some tips on how you can do that. These are different things. And here's a couple of examples. It all, it all flows together. These are not things for us to observe and pontificate and wonder about. It's for us to look at and say, man, does my life look like that? Are, are these my attributes? Are they the same? And so when I stopped uh, for me and I thought about me, I said, man, there's some daylight between who I want to be 
and who I am. There's some daylight between who these stalwarts of the faith are, just who I want to be and who I am. Now, am I trying to invoke guilt and shame? No, we self-produce that all day long, right? Um, So not trying to invoke that. What I'm trying to do is ask you to pause and say, who am I, right? Who am I related to this? What are the attributes that I would use to describe my life? What are the attributes that other people would assign to me? And is that really right? Um, I, don't, I don't know a lot of you very well. Some of you I have never met, and I've sat in a church building with you for a couple of years. Year and a half maybe, right? Year and a half, something like that. Um, so I have no foundation for what I'm about to ask or what I'm about to, to outline or say, but I'm going to do it anyway because I feel like this is what God put on my heart. Um, in this building, you have a lot of great examples of mature believers. Here at Vancouver Vineyard, tons of them. Look around, probably the person next to you, maybe even you, right? But sometimes you're like me and, and you... You, you go through your life and you, you walk out your faith and you realize I'm stuck. I'm stuck and I'm not. There's daylight between who I am and who I want to be and I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Uh, so I use this example of stuck in the mezzanine at 2 a.m. So for me, the mezzanine is, it's, I think it's weird. It's not the first floor or the second floor. You're kind of in the middle. Well, you architect designer people, what were you thinking? I don't know why you did that. So I think they had leftover space. Like, well, we could have a really tall ceiling or let's build a mezzanine. So they put the mezzanine in. But you're stuck in this little middle place and sometimes it doesn't connect to anything. So for me, mezzanine is I'm stuck in between on my way somewhere. 2 a.m. is the same thing. 2 a.m., so I've been waking up at 2 a.m. the last couple of nights uh, thinking about these things. Like I get awoken and and think about this. And 2 a.m. is that stage where Do I I stay up? Do I go back to sleep? Where I'm kind of in the middle. I used to stay up till 2 a.m., right? And now, sometimes I was awakened by 2 a.m. I have four kids. So I was up at 2 a.m., but then it made sense to go back. So you get stuck in this spot of, do I just kind of stay up? Because I've been up for an hour. So that's what 2 a.m. represents. uh, 2 a.m. in the mezzanine, that's what that represents to me. I'm kind of stuck in a place. Um, And so... Uh, you may be in a place where you want to ask somebody to disciple you, but you are afraid to ask. I'm afraid of, what are they going to tell me to do? I don't know. Uh, I need some help, but I'm worried about this mess I've made in my life, and people will see the mess I've made in my life, so I just don't ask for help. I'm stuck. uh, You're a giver or a servant, like Epaphrodites, but you're overly focused on your personal life and your personal wealth and the things that keep your life ticking, and I just can't do something else. I'm stuck. Uh, You may be a mature believer with years of ministry experience and you're sitting idle because I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I'm waiting for somebody to ask me. I think this church has tons and tons of gifted, talented people with lots of ministry experience um, that may not be using your full potential. I'm in that boat, right? Um... Maybe you're going it alone because I've just been hurt too many times by this machine called the church. 
and I'm not involved and engaged in community. Well, everything in this book is about doing all this stuff in the context of community. So at risk of, at risk of, of being cheesy or cliche, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote Switchfoot. Uh, <laughs> this is your life, are you who you wanna be, right? That's really what I'm trying to say is, uh, you have a lot of history. You have some goals on who you want to be. God's called you to certain things. Those things are true today, and they remain true. Um, I was debating whether I was going to read this or not, but I guess I'm going to. By the way, I'm an emotional person. So for me, um, I get separated. Uh, I get separated, and I get stuck in this place. And I was talking to a dear friend recently about uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son uh, by Henry Nouwen, if you know that book. Uh, fantastic book. And I think sometimes we get in this place where we are the younger son or the older son, or maybe we're both. I don't know. We're sort of in between. And uh, we are the sons and the sons and daughters. And so what Henry Nouwen says in that book, he says, although claiming my true identity as a child of God, I still live as though the God whom I, who, to whom I'm returning demands an explanation. I still think about his love as conditional, about home as a place I'm not yet fully sure of. While walking home, I keep entertaining doubts about whether I'll truly be welcome when I get there. Um, you get stuck in this place and and you think about, well, I'm going to have to make up a story. I'm going to have to explain to God where I've been. I'm going to have to tell him what I've been doing or how my, my fear and my shame have kept me out of the place where I can sit in his presence. Right? And his love's unconditional. He's not going to ask. He's going to throw a party. He's going to call you back in. He's going to put a ring on your finger. So I wonder how many of you are, are in that place where you're stuck um, I think I relate to half that list. Uh, so last, last slide here um, is just refreshing on the reminder. Uh, this isn't just what Paul wants for the Church of Philippi. This is what Paul wants for Vancouver Vineyard Church, for all the believers here. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and more. He wants you to keep on growing he wants you to understand what truly matters, to live pure and blameless lives filled with the fruit of your salvation to bring glory to God. That's what he wants for you. And are there things in your way? And how do you get those things out of your way?